thank you very much. Um, it was interesting on the uh, student demonstrations against the hike in tuition fees that the demands of the students was that education is a right, not a privilege, which on first sounding sounds uh, very reasonable. But I actually think it shows a snapshot of the confusion about the purposes of university and what they, we think of them today. Because I'd like to assert now that there is no right to be a scholar, there is no right to pursue excellence, and there is no right, in a way, to be an Einstein or to go to university or to be intellectually taught at a higher level. In fact, I think higher education shouldn't be a right. It should be a privilege because I think universities are a privileged place for the very specific and discreet role in society as distinct from anywhere else in terms of the pursuit of higher learning and the passing on and expansion of knowledge. I would like to say here that university should not be merely an extension of schooling. Unfortunately, I think many people think they are. Of course, students are not to blame for their confusion. They picked up their ideas from their elders, maybe not their betters, and from policy pundits. The whole higher education access policy, it seems to me, has distorted the way we view the purposes of, of university over recent years. No longer is the university an institution in which, to quote Cardinal Newman, the intellect may safely range and speculate, nor is it a place to explore or expand knowledge for its own sake. Rather, today's university, which I'm afraid I am disparaging about, is rather seen as a vehicle to deliver a myriad of non-educational ends. And access is just one of those universities, we are told, are a vehicle for social mobility. And social mobility is understood in the narrow terms of enhancing employment prospects. <coughs> Students are sold the idea that they need to go to university as it's one of the best routes of getting a decent job. Employability is now a key component on many academic courses, and indeed David Willits, the Higher Education Secretary, made the point that all universities should now uh, uh, produce employability statements. This has led to the unsavoury scramble by professors of the most unlikely subjects to identify employability skills. I once sat through an excruciating lecture by a professor of medieval history as he explained how his subject equipped his students with cross-disciplinary and transferable skills perfectly matched to the skills needed in banking, <laughs> which might well explain the banking crisis it starts <laughs> But when studying medieval history is sold to students, not as a glorious end in itself, but as a means to wither ends, that is a vehicle for the job market and social mobility, I think we've got problems. One criticism of history degrees from John Denham when he was uh, the higher education minister at a debate that he and I were both on at Labour Party conference, he claimed, uh, uh, in recent research, many young people and their parents cannot always see the direct relevance of their future careers of a history qualification. And the defensive retort from the historian on the panel came, but you can get jobs in heritage or museums or archaeology or tourism and so on. Meanwhile, a recent study of 42 universities at art departments and colleges revealed that negotiating and networking skills are compulsory on more courses than life drawing. I have before me a job advert for the University of the Arts in London, the Director of Student Enterprise and Employability. You can earn 62000 a year, apparently, to do that. But it says the university aims to be a leader. This is the University of Arts. 
says the university aims to be a leader in arts? No. In enterprise and employability in the creative sector. And the person who gets this job will be highlighting our students' talents to the widest possible network of prospective employers in the creative and cultural sec sectors, whilst ensuring that the market's changing needs feeds back into the curriculum development. <laughs> this, it seems to me, is a betrayal. Is it a surprising that students are confused? Paul Jackson, the Director of Student Support and Development at the University of Leicester, tells us that there is no difference between academic skills and employment skills, and his university is looking closely at how to embed corporate skills into the curriculum at undergraduate level. I don't think that bodes well for the creation of future poets, historians, physicists, or even thinkers. I have to say this is a big change. I went to university in defiance of my father in particular, who told me that I should go and get a job in the bank. I didn't want to study English literature at university to get a job because I was a bit of a dreamer and I dreamt of studying poetry, Yeats, Shelley, years to study Ibsen and European theatre. I really saw education as an end in itself in that idealistic way. But isn't that what higher education should provide young people with? Today, we're told to limit such dreams. Students are denied such luxury and told there's no room for such irrelevant, arcane, useless, self-indulgent pursuits of the mind or knowledge. They're told that university degrees are merely a means to, as I say, a non-educational end. But when my dad's question to me was, what is the good of poetry, it won't pay the bills, maybe we could write him off as being a little bit philistine. Today we discover it's government policy. <laughs> it seems to me that this sums up a very shallow utilitarian conception of the university. To quote, um, actually positively, a, a, a dean from the University of Westminster, she said, to view university education merely as training for jobs is not unlike Jane Austen's Mrs. Bennett's view of marriage, stripped of any notions of love, fulfilment or creativity. And I do think there is potentially a crisis in value, in the value of education, higher education per se. When the students, um, uh, the self-same revolting students, stormed a meeting that I was at, at which David Willits was speaking, um, and you know, they did what students do, and they were shouting a lot and waving around placards and so on, eventually they were given the right to, to speak. And they were said, what, what do you want to say to Mr Willits? And the, the spokeswoman uh, said, a young girl said, Mr Willits, this is very short-sighted of you, because for every pound you invest in a university student, you get £3.26 back. She sounded like an auditor, not a dreamer. And it seemed to me that that immediate sense of we want returns for our money, monetary value being the only way we understand uh, universities, is a real problem and it ignores the deeper virtues of higher study. One dangerous consequence of this repackaging of higher education is training for work or all-must-have-degrees approach, I think is, is that we are cheapening educa university education and turning it into a mass consumer commodity. Indeed, students discuss degrees in terms of value for money. Students are treated as though they are, and see themselves indeed, as customers. And we turn higher education into service provision. Of course, in the service sector, the customer is always right. But that is pretty disastrous in an academic context. And it might explain the amount of degree, great degree grade inflation we see. Friends of mine who are lecturers are exalted to mark positively and are told if there aren't enough two ones or firsts in the department, it's the problem of their teaching or their grading. It's rarely the student's performance. 
After all, students who fail are not happy customers. This also explains, I think, the growing complaints culture, with students proving themselves to be increasingly litigious, and the use of the appeals procedures in universities has exploded. Students who feel they haven't got what they think they deserve in terms of a degree complain as though they've bought a dodgy TV. Universities are dominated by student satisfaction surveys and student voice is now routine in deciding the content of what's taught in university. The problem about um, emphasising the student voice or the student experience is that it turns education on its head. It transforms the relationship between the scholar and student. There's no longer negotiated around the intellectual demands of an academic discipline in which students are apprentices, not masters. Suddenly, lecturers and the most advanced minds and researchers in their field are forced to negotiate what is taught and how it's taught around the demands of student complaints and student whims, fads and their own experience. Students are now the masters who must be flattered, cajoled and placated by humble lecturers keen to please. If academics are service providers, then it surely isn't their job to question or criticise the tastes or values or opinions of their potential customers. But actually... Academics should be in the business of educating their students' tastes and encouraging them to question their values and challenging their opinions. Indeed, one of the most distinct and significant dimensions of ad- academic pedagogy is intellectual activity. Uh, and uh, intellectual activity is that it doesn't give the customers what they want, but rather what the demands of the discipline or knowledge requires. What's at stake here in this changing conception of higher education is our very attitude to knowledge. And it seems to me that knowledge is at risk. The reason is that universities are now variously charged with solving a myriad of social and economic problems. At present, universities are told they must solve the problems of the recession, kickstart the economy. Vince Cable says that the universities are important in order for us to compete with China and India, to quote, to compete and prosper in this world, to respond to the needs of leading global and national business, we must enable many thousands more people to study and graduate each year. As a consequence, university science departments are told that they must involve themselves in high-end product development and create useful spin-offs, no blue skies thinking aloud. More broadly, all research now has to prove its social and economic impact to get funding. Even when research is told to solve more socially worthy ends like climate change or obesity or problems of an ageing society, it's all about knowledge that's useful, whereas I would rather defend, as I say, useless knowledge. This creates a calculating and instrumental approach to knowledge and is obviously antithetical to the ideas for their own sake, and it continually demands the subordination of intellectual life to pragmatic objectives. Scholarship, academic rigour, cultivation of the mind, and commitment to the passing on of all that's best that's known and thought to novitiates are all sidelined. Higher education and its disciplines merely become instruments to deliver outcomes that need to be realised separate from the inner content or purpose of education. This inevitably means downsizing the independence of higher education and compromises academic freedom. Knowledge becomes seen as a disposable resource with no inherent significance, with little interest in knowledge per se, only to that use in which it can be put. In other words, knowledge is treated with contempt and indifference. So guess what? Students have learnt that very bad lesson, which is why when they get a list, a reading list of books that they need to read for their course, they want to know only which books will contribute to their final degree mark and are not interested in reading anything else i.e. the only knowledge that counts is that with practical application. 
Unless knowledge or research can prove some useful outcome, policy implication or social function, it's dismissed as self-indulgent elitist and elitist. When research is valued by a what works utility audit, it implicitly implies that knowledge is disposable if it doesn't deliver. So what's the point of thousands of years of philosophy if it doesn't help solve the problems of getting hospitals to be more efficient? What does the Ming dynasty contribute to today's fiscal challenge? It's no surprise, then, that the Brown Review of Higher Education never once mentions, mentions the humanities and social sciences, except for a brief reference to strategically important language courses. The problem goes beyond the short-termism of politicians, because... Honestly, they've always been Philistines. I think, however, that academia itself has a lot to answer for because it seems to have lost its ability and confidence to defend higher education within its own terms. They're always desperate to explain their role through a whole series of non-educational justifications to make peace with external, the, the external demands of society, economy and business and are embarrassed about an ivory tower status and keen to prove their relevance. They even offer themselves to be, to be conscripted as foot soldiers of government. They happily allow politicians to hijack research for policy ends. Their enthusiasm for evidence-based policy, I think, is dangerous. They may seem flattered that politicians want to quote their evidence, but there's a danger of politicising the research and turning it into advocacy research and turning themselves into guns for hire. The Arts and Humanities Research Council's Public Policy Fellowship Scheme to fund applicants from the arts says that it wants to, quote, for those applicants who want to spend a year embedded in a government department or public body undertaking research relevant to policy and helping knowledge exchange. This is the end of independent higher education. So my cry is, Trezon de Clerc, the arts and humanities are, might well be uh, an endangered uh, species, and there was a conference with that title only recently, at which Richard Drayton, the Rose Professor of Imperial History at King's College, said something I really agree with. He said, The British Academy has offered cowardly hand-wringing, while vice-chancellors and many administrators have been active quizlings, merely asking how they can best adapt. No wonder students don't understand the value of university, but hopefully you do. Thank you very much.